0: My name is Joanne Averson, and this is the podcast Pain Removed, Performance Improved. <laughs> so, welcome to this episode of Pain Removed, Performance Improved. And it is my absolute pleasure today to have as my guest Sarah Cox. Hello, Sarah.
1: Hello. Wonderful to be here, Jo.
0: I met Sarah many moons ago at the British Fascist Symposium. And I was, oh, I can't tell you, just enraptured by the beautiful products that you were standing next to. But before we talk about those, um, as you know, Sarah, the theme of this podcast is pain removed, performance improved. And I know that you are someone who is so dedicated to seeing transformation in other people and empowering people that I wanted you to come and tell us a little bit about your journey before we talk about why I was just so enraptured but also I've had reasons to to interact with you personally and feel empowered and loved and just nurtured frankly by your presence let's be honest um, but also by your incredible clarity and focus that you have around people and so just oh. from that place. Where did it all start? How did oh. your work start? Did you Thank did you go in as a practitioner or what did
1: you do? How did no, you start? I went in with extreme ill health. So oh. it seems, yeah, one of the old cliches. But um, so, well, I'm 57 now and I, I would say that my journey started when I was one hour old. Um, so I was born in Hong Kong, which was wonderful, two very wonderful parents. Uh, but at the time, there was a, a, a cholera outbreak in Hong Kong. So in after an hour of being alive and born and breathing, I was whacked with a live cholera jab, which is actually banned now because they're so dangerous. And the ones that they give children now is, uh, is dead. You know, it's like a dead uh, infection. And they're advised not to give it under the age of two. So. I remember actually being born, I was very awake and I can remember coming down the birth canal I remember exploding into the world and life and and seeing my mum. And then suddenly there was this whack in the backside and followed by a few hours later, a uh, typhoid injection, which was again a live one, followed by every three months, about six injections. And remember in those days, they were very primitive. So they were full of Oh God knows what, and then, aged three, I had fifteen mercury fillings in my milk teeth, so for me, it was a complete constant battering down of uh, of my health. I remember being born i you know my parents have, have had extremely good genetics, so I was strong when I was born, and I think that's why I've survived you know when I tell most uh, doctors or or healthcare professionals my history. My physical history they can't believe I'm actually standing let alone alive you know so so it was right from the beginning and um it was an onslaught and that went on for years living in the tropics we had injections every three months and six months and every year and I just felt myself by the time I was 15 I had ME So, of course because you know, there's only I so know. much. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's only so much your body can take. And I was a um, ballet dancer. I absolutely loved ballet, and I just didn't have the energy. So my passion that I came in with, I had to let go of very when I was very young. And then I just began to deteriorate, and sort of like many people, I think I became half alive, not fully alive, but just half alive, um, and then. As I got into my 20s, it got worse and worse. I was in and out of hospital all the time. I had loads of stomach operations, trying to cut me open and find out what was wrong. And then um, I was told it was in my mind and all the usual stuff. And then when I was 30, I met an incredible dentist who took one look at me and said, you don't look very well. And I said, I am not (laughs) well at all. And he said to me, I know who you have to go and see. And he sent me off to see this woman uh, and called Natasha Lindman, who works with uh, frequencies and is a homeopath. And she basically saved my life. And she said to me, she tested me. I had just about everything going. You can imagine I'd been through every hideous disease. I'd only have to go into a hospital and I would come out with a hospital infection, you know, just to visit a friend. It It was so extreme. My immune system was pretty non-existent. So she helped me a lot. And it was during that time that I began to kind of wake up my psychic sight again, which had been buried under this onslaught of of kind of medical intervention, really. Mm. And, And then I hit the deck emotionally. So my world collapsed, my partner left me, my business that I'd sort of cobbled together went down the tubes in one of the recessions that we had. And I was just on my hands and knees begging for help.
0: Was that a, a physical as well as an emotional help, or had you just recovered from the physical to fall into the emotional?
1: It, it was both because you know I had yet to learn that the physical is also related to the emotional. Hmm. I didn't yes. know that at that time. You know, I was just struggling hmm. to eat anything that didn't bring me out in a rash or or make me sick. Um, you know, I weighed I'm I'm quite thin now. I don't know what I weigh now. About eight and a half stone, but I was six stone when I was 30, I just couldn't keep food down. And so for me, it was either I was going to die or I have to do something about it. So I remember being in hospital when I was about 29 and just begging, I was saying, if there's a God out there, which I didn't believe in at the time, please, I will do whatever you want me to do. If you just let me live, I promise I'll help other people. And I made a vow to myself, age 29, that if I, if I could live and survive and thrive from this, that I would turn around and help others. And that's what I do.
0: That's just stunning. So, so where did, so you were 29. Yeah. So that was several years ago. I'm not making any comment, you look (laughs) fabulous, but I'm, I'm just, I want to, I want to delve into the wisdom. So from there, you then, what was your first step that your sense of guidance or that, I don't know. God answered you, or that you felt inspired. However, you want to put it. To what was the next step that you took?
1: Right. So, it's. So I think finding the homeopath was a true gift through my dentist. I mean, how bizarre is that? And mm. she got me feeling physically better, so that I could then begin to deal with the emotional aspects from a family of uh, trauma. So, my parents divorced when I was seven, and it was very traumatic, um, and. So what happened then was I began to feel better on every level and decided that wouldn't it be nice if I could maybe train to be a counsellor to help other people. So that was my first step. Did a two-year foundation in counselling, which is about all the energy I had. And as I was doing that, I was beginning to release my own emotional trauma from my body. And that's how I met Jan Trawartha. I went for massage with her. I had no money and I would not eat so that I could go and have a massage with Jan. I think it was 15 pounds for the hour in those days. And she was another one that just absolutely, you know, part of my savior because she was so skilled with her hands. And she said to me, I think you might need to do something about your anger. And I said to her, what anger? I'm I'm not angry. And uh, so she massaged me and I don't know if this is normal, but after the first massage with Jan, I actually couldn't get out of bed for three days. I came out in a rash and I phoned her up and said, is this normal? She said, no, I think it's the anger. So um, I went on an anger workshop, which had me crawling on the floor in rage. Yeah, it was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I do things in extreme. You'll come to realize that.
0: Well, Jan is very intuitive, and I know she's had her hands on an awful lot of bodies in her time because she was a nurse before she came into what we could call energy medicine and therapy. So, um, yeah, I I get it. <laughs> you, yeah. So so from so you're you're still training in counselling at this point? And- yes.
1: So I was training in counselling. I was having massage with Jan. I was taking homeopathy. I was beginning to let go because what I realised was that I was holding on so tight to my trauma and so tightly trust just trying to be alive with eating that i you know as i began to let go of that slowly i began to realize that i was having really profound psychic experiences and that was a shock because i had blocked it out you know mm. the trauma of just survival meant that there was no energy left for any of that so As I released my my personal blocks and emotions, I started to then see energy, see aura, begin to know things intuitively. And that meant also really understanding the dynamics of my family, which I'd been in denial of. And Mm -hmm. so as you come out of denial, you know, creation can begin to flow through you in the most beautiful, fluent and loving way. And that was a real surprise. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just sitting,
0: I love it. And so so when you say you could see energy, would I be right in asking you that you have a sense that you perhaps had always been able to see that and it was about getting out of your own way somewhat as this emotional layers and after the physiological layers of immune struggle yeah. were gradually dissolving, that you were becoming more resilient. To the yeah. to what it takes to hold that awareness,
1: because it takes something, doesn't it? It does. I was becoming more aware. And I, I took myself off to the College of Psychic Studies because nobody in my family had really had any experiences on a psychic level. So I just assumed that I was mad. You know, I, thought, I was just well, going to say,
0: what year are we in now? Because I'm trying to
1: think, well, 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 this was all around when I was 30, 31, 32, and I'm now 57. So, no, I mean, nobody I knew um I didn't nobody knew anything about healing or I think I think there was the one book that came out you can heal your life I think that was about it there was nothing on the Louise Hay yeah, yeah. So there we're in the n- 90s we're in
0: the yeah, 90s we're in early. That period of everybody learning about all these different modalities but homeopathy was sham and yeah craniosacral therapy wasn't really known that well it was only yeah. the unusual people that had those the, the weirdest.
1: you know I remember going to to dinner at a friend's friend's house. And um I remember being somebody said, Would you like a coffee? And I said, No, have you got a chamomile tea? And everybody around the table just fell about laughing. I mean, they were hysterical with laughter that I I would, why would you want chamomile tea? You know, why would you drink a plant? You know, it was it was that bad. And uh, and then when I um I started to uh do my energy healing uh, training, which I actually saw my teacher on Paul McKenna's show on television. I was with my my mom and my sister and we were watching Paul McKenna. And this man came on and started doing energy work around Paul McKenna. And I I nearly collapsed on the floor. What I realized is that I was so connected to what he was doing that I could I couldn't function. I'd never seen any. I didn't know what he was doing. He was waving his arms around. And I jumped up on the coffee table and said to my mom and sister, that's what I'm here to do. It was extraordinary. It took me six months to then track him down through the Paul McKenna show. And he was an energy uh, worker, energy healer, energy teacher. And I went and trained with him and it absolutely transformed my life. But then I was starting to talk about energy, you know, and nobody around me knew what I was talking about. I I felt like a complete freak. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was tricky times then. I remember when people asked me what I did for a living and I said I was an energy healer. They would absolutely, I had somebody spit at me. Telling me I was working with the devil. It's only thirty years ago. Twenty five. You know what I mean. It's not that long ago, but that's how it was.
0: So I, I hear you. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think what I was doing. Twenty. Well, I, I, I think I was work. I was yoga by then. Yoga was okay. Twenty five years yeah, ago. Yeah, just definitely. about. As long a, as it wasn't in a church hall.
1: Yeah,
0: oh, it wasn't in a church hall. No, no, no. Yeah, but no. to have a centre with yoga is what I had in Brighton, and it was, it was like it was okay. It was newish. Mm but it was okay. It was me. It was beginning to be meaningful to people, but what I'm, um, what you said, so you've, by this time you've done counseling and you've done psychic work and now the energy healing, those were the three things
1: that you, well, together. yes, I did the, um, I, I did the energy healing, uh, before I did the psychic work. So the energy healing started to open me up and it opened me up big time. And I was having a massage with Jan, um, and I started to, it was probably the first time I'd ever really relaxed. And I started to um, see vague figures. I was lying on my back. And I remember saying to Jan, oh, I think I can see somebody. I was all sort of dopey. And she said, why don't you invite them in? Ha ha. I had no idea. That's we had both <laughs> of us, none of us knew what we were doing. So in my mind, I said, oh, welcome in. And I kid you not, a man walked through the door. And when I say through the door, I mean through the door. And he the had door a blue, was shut. The door was shut. He had a blue coat cape on. He had the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen in my life, blue. And he had the most serene smile. He had a beard. And he walked over round the table and put his hands on my stomach. Now, at this point, I was thinking I have really gone completely gone nuts. However, Jan saw this whole thing unfolding as well. She said, I've seen it, Sarah. I've seen him. She backed off and with her back to the wall. And I looked up at this man. He put his hands in my base chakra, which I didn't even know what a base chakra was in those days. He put his hands in my base chakra and he did something like a twisting motion. And then he took his hands up, put them in my sacral, and he did them all the way up my chakras until he got to my uh, to my brow. And then he did this strange twisting motion. My my. What I know now is I had a huge Kundalini experience. My whole chakra system just blew open. It felt as if the top of my head blew off, and I was just in shock. <laughs> it was. It was unbelievable and of course Jan saw it all so we kind of been partners in crime and all all of this and and then he just went okay. and I, yeah and I was stunned I didn't really know what guides were I didn't know how healing could work like that um, I didn't know what kundalini was I had absolutely no idea what a chakra was but I you know I began to find, find out but the six months following that was extremely difficult because I felt as if I was absolutely insane i could see everything i could sense everything and it was complete sensory overload i wouldn't recommend doing, doing a kundalini opening like that however i i've realized now as a teacher i needed to go through that so that i can facilitate people to do it carefully
0: it's a wonderful thing you say that because i'm sitting here thinking hmm. so she came in and she had to handle all that difficulty and disease immunity overload and handle all that and then to sit there and say okay whoever source is i choose life mm. and then if you like some source or other came in to help tune you to that and yeah. then whatever year we're in we're still at least i would think 15 years ago maybe 20
1: Twen- oh, not, you are not, not, yes yeah 2000 yeah. But, uh 2000 if that yeah yeah
0: so 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 now you've readjusted and i i mean i know what happens to me when i do one of my weekend retreats and i come out i'm fragile mm. i'm vulnerable i'm i really have to conscientiously shield myself from mm. people just to manage and that's on a very subtle level of what you're talking about a very small amount so that must have been really quite difficult to manage
1: it was, I didn't, yes, because there was nothing to read about it. I didn't understand it. Mm. And I, I, oh, it took me all, I realized how strong I am when I look back on things like this and realise that I went through it. And I was sort of okay, even though it was extremely hard. I think that's probably the hardest thing I've ever been through because I had nobody to talk to. And my partner at the time just thought I had gone mad. I couldn't talk about it. And I remember going to a dinner party and about a week after it happened and just sitting, looking at everybody, knowing everything about them because my senses were so heightened. And being seeing the, I don't know, took me into a sort of expression of being two-dimensional. I could see how two-dimensional everything was, but I could also see fifth-dimensional and Mm -hmm. and, third-dimensional and talking about, you know, what do you do for a living? I work for an IT company. It was all in those days. It just, I couldn't cope with it at all. It was very difficult. But slowly, I I managed to screw the top of my head back on and become more grounded. And that's when I then started to train at the College of Psychic Studies.
0: And was that useful? Was that a useful contribution to frame your, to template what you had to
1: express? Oh, it was amazing because I turned up at their door knocked on the door and the receptionist came out and said yes dear you know and I said I think I'm insane I'm either a psychic or I, I'm insane and I need to, do, uh, to know now and she said oh come in darling and sat me down and she said I'll just go and get one of the medians and this lovely woman came out and she said let's take a look at you dear and uh, she looked oh, so at me and, it sounds
0: like you're deciding what tea to drink that's so yes,
1: funny <laughs> well it's so normal there and she she said to me oh there's nothing wrong with you. You're a natural medium. She said, we just need to get you trained up. So I joined up immediately. And I spent two years training there with a lovely woman called Avril Price. And everyone else was turning up at the classes, desperate to see something and desperate to experience something. And I was there going, don't let me see anything. I don't, you know. But the most important thing it did for me was it helped to show me how to shut it all down. And I often do this now in my work with young children particularly autistic children who just are so wide awake and fabulous Mm. and but they need to have techniques to shut down so that they Mm. can be present in the world and complying to a degree while they grow up and then can transform into their own fabulousness
0: yeah beautiful that's so beautiful Mm. we're going to put details of how to get hold of you at the end of this so from there what where are we now are we in the in the mid 2000s
1: Somewhere around there, early 2000s, still, it all happened extremely quickly. I went to the Harmonic Concordance, I think that was 2003 in uh, Avebury. And I happened to turn up at this extraordinary place. A friend said, Would you like to go? I said, Yes. Turned up, and I had no idea what I always do these things, and I have no idea what I'm doing, really. And I turned up at the Harmonic Concordance, which was where the six planets with Earth at the middle formed a perfect star of David. And I ended up at a lecture by a a wonderful astrophysicist called Jude Curriven. And she um, gave us a talk in the day. And then in the evening, they had built a a fire on top of a, a hill just outside, just at the side of Avery Stones. And this was in November. And we had to turn up there at something like one in the morning, So we all went to bed for a couple of hours, got up, it was pouring with rain, freezing cold as only it can be in England in February in the West. And, you know, that horrible, rainy, wet, damp rain, we all turned up, There was about 50 of us. And we walked up the hill. And as I was looking at everybody, I was thinking it all became so surreal. I thought, oh, that, that was a that looks like a gnome and that person that's like a witch and that person that's like an elf. And that, it was all getting a bit weird. We walked up to the top and we had the concordance up there. And this was being done around the planet in all sorts of locations, about 12 locations. And this part in Avery was supposed to be the heart of, of, of all of it. So I don't know how people heard about it. We just all rocked up and, um, And suddenly I looked down the hill and this man in white was walking up and he looked about seven foot tall and he had a white cape, white hood and he had his arms outstretched and he just walked up and he held his arms out behind the group holding the space somehow. And I just, you know, it was all so bonkers by that point. I just thought, oh, there's Jesus. You know, it was, uh, of course, of course he's turned up. You know, it was just mad. Then at the time of the concordance, The clouds, but we all held hands and we were all in prayer and meditation. The clouds just above our circle opened. There was just, and the rain stopped only, so it was raining around us, all around us, but not in that circle. And then somebody said, look up, look up. And there were three moons. It was just insane. And it lasted for the whole of the concurrence, which was a, About 22 minutes. And then the clouds just gathered again, rain started falling, and we all went home. But I think that was something very profound about holding the space for humanity. And I I still don't really know what I was doing. Um, But it was was extraordinary. So things like that began to happen for me on quite a regular basis. And I was trying to pretend that I was still normal. And then I opened my I know. I didn't tell anybody. You've got
0: to laugh. Forgive me that. It's just, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at you. (laughs) No, I know. I'm laughing at the idea that you wouldn't tell anybody this because it had become what was so clearly paranormal or not normal. Yeah, had become the norm for you, and it's almost yeah. like living two lives at the same time, isn't it? It was. It's like, it's like straddling,
1: You know all about yeah. that. It's like having one world in one foot in each world, and I realized that most people couldn't cope with what I was experiencing. I mean, I was having surreal things. You know, my car. I ran my car for three hundred miles with no fuel in it because my guides were telling me to they were beginning to train me to to be obedient and that sounds like it's a negative thing but it isn't so as i began engaging and working with my guide they would give me the most extraordinary things to do like um go and cut that log or that lovely new top you've bought give it to so and so you know it was very clear instructions and looking back, I realized they were training me to be obedient then for my healing and also for Zephorium, which was going to come further down the line because I set up my healing clinic. I was all open. I could see everything, here, everything. It was wonderful working with energy. The day I opened my clinic, all of that went. I couldn't see, feel or hear anything. And it went for two years. And I was on my knees begging my guides, what have I done wrong? Why can't I see? And they, all I would hear was just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I ran my clinic. People were having great healings and so on. You know, it was wonderful. But I ran my clinic for two years when I first opened on absolute trust. And then suddenly it all came back and they said to me, ah, we were just testing to see if you really meant that you wanted to do this.
0: So let me just be clear, because I know if someone's listening, they might be hearing. So what you're saying is you kept the clinic open, you carried on doing the work. Yeah. But you had to hand over the work, as it were. I did. The work be done by you just paying attention and being present with the techniques and whatever came
1: through came through. But you couldn't see or define what you were doing. I had no engagement with it on that level because what they were doing was training me to have no ego. Yeah, But it wasn't about me. It was not about, you know, and they'd say, it's not about you, Sarah, and it's not up to you whether people heal or not. You do what you do as a channel and then, you know, and then we do the rest. So it was training like that all the way through. And uh, so I ran my clinic for a long time. I don't know how many years. A few years after that, I then decided I wanted to teach people how to do it because I could I really understood that once like I had people clear their blocks and their illnesses and their depression and their whatever else it was that they you naturally the human condition is naturally creative psychic open intuitive and that's how that's what should be normal
0: not what we don't you described. believe that we're all capable of healing through our kindred spirit through kindness through through each other
1: definitely we've- definitely and and but also the most powerful thing is to be kind to ourselves and that was a big lesson that was my very last lesson which you know I still work on is is kindness to myself I can do it for everyone else like most therapists but learning to be still and centered and committed to me has been a really long journey Um, because I come from a history of codependency and addiction in my family of origin and so I trained as with part of my counseling I trained as an addiction counselor which is my speciality and I love it because, you know, once you explain it to people and tell them, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. This is what's happened to your brain state, your, your brain pattern is in a certain alignment and it's just seeking constant hits. I mean, it's so, it's like a revelation to most people. Um, so sometimes I have people who've been in therapy for 25, 30 years, psychotherapy or whatever it is. And, uh, and, the, and I sit and listen to them and I say, what are you doing about your addiction? And they say, what addiction? But, if you don't deal with the addiction, you're never going to sort the problem out because it's hardwired into your brain. so your your
0: grounded counseling is such a powerful theme running through all the intuitive um, well, it's all counseling, isn't it? But your it intuitive is. awareness threads with those templates that you learned.
1: Yes and then the final one being I then trained to be a um, multi faith minister which you are as well and I did a two year training with that and that was the final bit for me because I was always very very anti god and very angry at christianity and religion for, for being the you know mm-hmm. what I perceived to be the start of many wars and and disconnection of people from source and I you know I think once you ask the big, two big questions who am I and why am I here you no longer need religion, and I think it's all about direct communication. So for me, you know it, it all tight looking back when I suddenly we were moving house, um, it was two in the morning, my guides woke me up and they said, "Write this down. We'd just moved house. In fact, we'd moved three houses my, uh, my dad's house, my mother and father-in-law's house, and our house all in one day. never do it. Never do it. Anyway, I just so no, bear the don't, thought. don't <laughs> it anyway. So two in the morning, my guy woke me up and said, Write this down. And I said, You have got to be joking. You what? And they said, No, write it down. So I got a pen and paper, wrote it down, and it was the they basically dictated Sephorium to me, which is now my company. Um, they the products, the colours, the aromatherapy, the crystal, the frequency, the homeopathy, the affirmations, everything that they wanted in it and I was thought crikey you know what I'm not I I don't know anything about sales I've just been a therapist you know I I don't know what they're talking about and they said no we will be absolutely behind you and those that can see it will know it absolutely and those that don't will just think they're pretty bottles and that's fine so
0: so this was all dictated at once
1: yeah at two o'clock that. so you were up the rest of the night writing things down it wasn't most of the night. It came so quickly. It was about half an hour. I mean, it was, it was an absolute download. And, and so I wrote it all down. Then when I started checking it out with friends of mine who were crystal therapists or who were aromatherapists, they were saying, yeah, it's perfect. It just, all it's perfect. Um, So I then braved, you know, I hadn't got any money really. So I, Put it all on my credit card, and I, I came out with my body oils a range of the eight. They were adamant there had to be eight chakras, two for the heart, um, the masculine and the divine masculine, and the divine feminine. So there were eight bottles, um, and. So I, I just produced those, and because I'd been a therapist for a long time, I knew lots of therapists. So I started telling them, and they started using them and saying, "Wow, they're amazing!" and sharing. And that's how it all happened. You know, so it's a, it's a, I think, of zephorium is a col- culmination from that first hour of being born when I was jabbed, right through to where we are now, um, which is the whole of of my history really rolled into <laughs> into my experience into the bottles.
0: So just to make this full circle, when I first met you, of course, it was at British Fascist Symposium where Jan Twawthor is the director. And you had that extraordinary stand covered in the Zephorium sprays and candles Mm. and oils and so on. And the colours just are delicious. They're so beautiful. The colours themselves have a resonance field all of their own.
1: Yeah, they do. And I
0: I still have my um, dark blue spray. Mm. Uh, which one is that indigo the brow chakra indigo yeah. yes that's yeah. right yeah and, and the times when I have just needed it it's just somehow arrived it's there and I spray and I can't tell you what it is but the scent is so soothing and and it's just that it's that feeling of resonance isn't it when you resonate yeah. with the right color at the right time and you yeah. just I mean, I don't know about you, but I I can get up in the morning and put the wrong colour on, and I, I'm standing there in the kitchen making myself a cup of tea, and I think I can't wear this colour today. This just isn't right. And I can I've always thought it was because I'm a nutty artist who just has to have the right colours around her, but it's come to mean much more to me now now that I'm um, older and calmer and understand an awful lot more that we don't even realize how influenced by color we are that that if you put out an advert of a certain color it doesn't have the same effect of an advert of a different color yeah and you know I love to think my some of my Instagram posts are brilliant but I swear to god it's just the color that's in the photograph that makes the difference I don't think we realize how important that is and yeah you you had the color codes given to you didn't you I
1: did the color frequencies everything was a frequency so the homeopathy is actually in the bottle in three different frequencies and I didn't understand that at all and um but since I've found out from homeopaths that that it actually resonates to mind body and spirit so it's in it's in a sort of personal body vibration then there's the body around us vibration. And then there's the cosmic vibration. And I think I'm I'm still learning how incredibly powerful vibration is on every level. Absolutely everything we're learning more and more is a vibration. And, you know, I was so fascinated when I was looking at the, the work that you do, you know, it's kind of the less that you do, the more is happening, because it's, it's the intention, and I think when I first trained with Mark Caldwell to be an energy therapist, he'd been spent years in China in the sixties um, learning uh, um, acupuncture because you know his dad was a surgeon in London, the Royal College of Surgeons, and they'd heard about these you know these meridians, and they decided to get some dead bodies and find the meridians. Of course, they cut them up, couldn't find anything, whereas Mark in China was realizing. That, of course, there are meridians. It's all about energy and vibration. You'll never see them. But also, it, he was in a room of 40 people learning to do acupuncture. Some of them were having outstanding results, and some of them were, were kind of okay. And he realized that what was happening was it was the quality of the person doing it that had a bigger impact than where they stuck the needles. It's, so it's all about intention so for Zephorium that's the basis of my products you know it is about obviously affirmations and changing the brain state but the but the intention behind the products and I every day I pray that they I see it as a web that is beaming out from me and I just imagine it around the world healing and nurturing and loving and that the right people are drawn and whoever needs whatever they need will know that they need it and that's how the company has expanded because we don't I've never advertised and now we're all over the world and and I think if you can let intention and vibration do the job then all you have to do is it's like it's like steering one of those massive cruise liners I don't know if you've ever seen but on the you know with the captain on the deck he's got a a steering wheel that's about eight inches wide and the ship is about two miles wide you know and they they do everything by that tiny steering wheel and spirit show me that that's how life should be. You've got your little guidance, your little steering wheel. And all you do is change it one degree and the ship turns, you know, half a mile in one direction. Mm. And so it doesn't have to be a big struggle. And having come from, you know, dysfunction, it all was a big struggle that I've realized now it actually it doesn't have to be. So I, I very much love the work of Abraham Hicks, which is do less and, and dream more. And that's where I am now. Mm. <laughs>
0: yeah it's just such a beautiful story and I I just love how grounded um Zephorium is because I know you know there may be some people listening to this who are you know okay I can handle chamomile tea but people walking through doors and know. you know uh, really and i'm oh, sure it wasn't raining where you were standing i can just imagine except i've i've seen that i've I've actually seen that where where people are meditating in a circle and they come together and the weather literally changes around them because they're yeah. changing the energy field around them and I, yeah. I don't think it's so preposterous when you understand well how i would i would say works.
1: no and i would say anybody who is unsure about that go and look outside the window on a monday morning it's usually gray and it's often raining Now, is that related to the fact that people are fed up that they're going to work? I think it is.
0: It's funny you say that. When I was a child, I had this idea that the sun always shone at the weekends. I just had this idea that the sun always shone at the weekends. Mm. And it did in my world. Mm. And I remember even thinking, is that right? And my mother said something to me once and I went, yes, but mummy, it doesn't matter. We can do it at the weekend because the sun always shines at the weekend. Yeah. And I I remember being caught by her looking at me as if to say, where did that come from? But for me, it did. It, it absolutely did.
1: Well, yeah. And do you remember as a child, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, if, if they might think, wow, that's what Sarah's saying is an amazing story. I don't know what she's talking about, but it's interesting. But do you remember when you were a little child, lying in the grass outside, looking up at the clouds and seeing everything in the clouds, every shape, Mm. every animal, every flower. Mm. To me, isn't that just a reflection of what's going on in the world below? So why wouldn't the weather be changing accordingly? I mean, well, makes sense to me. Yeah. I I think, you know... Carry yeah, I, yeah. I I just think that everything is is you know is you as a child lying on your back looking at the clouds and drawing into your experience elephants in the clouds and flowers and giraffes and angels and whatever it is you are going to find what you're looking for in anything and particularly in nature because it will just vibrate back to you at your frequency. So. Whatever you're doing, whether you're doing body work or you're doing um, fascia work, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing, spraying yourself with an aura spray, it's your intention behind the whole thing. You know, we need to really remember and know that we are the creator creating. There's no one else around here. I don't see any God anywhere, but I see people with great intention and love. And we were talking earlier, and I, I think you're right. We can heal through kindness.
0: I love that, and I just want to ask you: What took you to the ministry? What was the thing that took you to the ministry?
1: Ah, well, my yeah, and don't show
0: it if you don't want to. But
1: no, I'm quite happy to. My my, I was forty, and my um, ex partner hung himself, which was devastating, devastating blow. He was thirty nine, and I went to his funeral, and I, I I don't think it was I. I don't think it had been possible to cry. My eyelashes were falling out with tears. I just couldn't stop the tears. And we were in this church. He was such a free spirit. He used to um, sail ships around the world for people. And he was an absolute wonderful, mad free spirit. And we were in this church and he was lying in the coffin. And the vicar was droning on about something. And it was so irrelevant to his life. And I put my hand up and I said, could I come and say something, please? And he said, oh, yes, of course. And um, I went and stood at the front and I just told stories of how funny he had been and the crazy things we'd done when we were at college together and how I'd come home from um, college one day and found him burying my car in the back garden. You know, I mean, crazy. And, and we were all laughing, you know, the congregation was laughing and I just thought, I need to do it a different way. This isn't right. People, you know, young people dying and, and being sent off with this sort of formality is not right. And then, as you know, talk about in, in things happening and falling at, in at the right time. Um, I then saw an advert for the multi faith. Uh, it's called the Interfaith Seminary in those days um, in London, and I just knew I had to go. And even though I I didn't believe in God and I wasn't religious at all. Um, I just knew I had to be there, and i i and it was the perfect place for me because I managed to let go of all my defendedness around a higher power and around um spirit and there being some kind of presence in the universe that is loving and I absolutely love Einstein because he used to ask the question every day, Is the universe friendly? and he came up with the conclusion that yes, it was, and if you wake mm-hmm. up every morning and ask yourself that question, is the universe friendly? I think it's the most powerful thing you can do for yourself because you start the day off feeling safe. So when I started my ministry, I didn't realize I'd be doing funerals and weddings and baby blessings. And I had—I no, just didn't have a clue. I just knew I had to be there. Um, and I was challenging to them. I think, you know, I challenged everything. I had—I remember the when we were learning about Christianity, I ended up with the with the priest who was teaching us at the time on his knees in front of me, begging for forgiveness on behalf of Christianity, because uh, you know I was challenging him about imagine. wars. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so so that was that, and I absolutely fell in love with every religion we studied. I I loved them all. I love them all. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I just I love that you say that because it's it's like every single. You know, my studies are in spiritual sciences and every single, um, what's the word, branch of ancient wisdom are all saying the same thing with a different emphasis, with a different manifestations. And you just become so aware that it's about love and truth and grace and light and sound. And and
1: yes, we're all the same. I remember when we were studying Islam, I mean, I had no idea that five o'clock prayers, they pray to Jesus and Mother Mary. Every day across the world, all of Islam is on their knees praying to Jesus. Who knew that in Christianity? Where are you taught that at school? You know, that that kind of thing was so inspiring to me
0: and beautiful. I remember finding out that that Muhammad was Abraham's brother and they both came down the mountain together and they had a a set of the Ten Commandments each. And I was like, excuse me? Hmm. I was just, you mean that these are just no and i, I <laughs> yeah uh, yeah you know I, I, why why do we call them different things and uh, it, well what has man done with it and i i'm with Carolyn mace when she said if if you if you think god is this off planet old man with white hair and a pair of glasses and these are my words a christmas list in there waiting to say were well, you good enough to get your christmas presents yeah. are you kidding what we're talking about is a force of light that is so generous and so a source of yes. the anima animus I mean do we you really think we started here and this is it are you kidding yeah, I know I mean and the more I learn about the fascia and multi-dimensionality and multi-sensory awareness um and of course the fascia is pretension so physically it can only resonate that's all it can do yes so the idea that You you know, if you put an instrument at either end of a room and you pluck the same one string, beg your pardon, like if you say you put a harp at either end of the room, same harp, same model of harp, and you pluck the top E at one end of the room, only the top E will resonate at the far end of the room without you touching it on the other harp. That's going to happen. That's a fact. That's like gravity. Yeah. There's no point in arguing with that. That's not a fanciful notion of some lunatic woman who studies fascia with her friend on the who's got sees ghosts you know it's like no 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 no, yeah that's physics yeah and so how can we possibly imagine that we as living animated energy fields with a tensioned network that makes us an instrument Mm. isn't resonating with somebody else in the room when we're with them let alone working with them Mm. it's just like really
1: I know. It, it becomes, once you wake up to it, you wake up to it. I mean, when I was first doing my mediumship training and I was thinking, what's, but what's the point of this? How can I be helpful is always my bottom hmm. line. How, you know, what, why am I doing this? And then I sat down and started doing platform mediumship and uh, and one-to-one readings. I did them for a long time. And you have a mother in front of you who's lost her child for, for, for some reason. God forbid. And they are sobbing and sobbing, and you can give them proof that you couldn't have possibly have known about their child, and about how it, what happened, names, and this, that, and the other. You are saving that person decades of grief and misery, decades. Now, that's the resonance that I like: is that you can take people onto a different level. You do it with your work in your way, absolutely. But for me, the resonance is to be vibrating at a higher frequency. doesn't mean it's better. It's just a higher, you can't see it. And let people then come into resonance with you. So that's what I've done with Zephorium. I've just stood there and I thought, this is who I am. This is what I do. And people can take it or leave it, but I'm not wavering. I'm going to be in my alignment and this is what I am and then people come to that and hopefully with the resonance of you know like the work you do they then tune onto that e they become e as well rather than g yeah. where they're in pain and suffering and i think this is what the universe holds for us because in all the thousands of readings i've ever done i have never ever seen anything resembling hell pain, suffering on the other side, nothing. There's no judgment. You just, the only judgment that people seem to experience is the disappointment in themselves when they haven't done what they wanted to do. And that's kind of hell because you think, oh, I wasted that body. I've got to come and do whatever again. And, but I have never, ever, ever, no matter what anybody has done, have seen punishment, nothing.
0: I think we make that up. And I think that was mm-hmm. a, a power play to Mm. govern the people. And it's fascinating. Um, Oh, we could do this for hours. (laughs) I I think there's a, a fabulous book by Megan Watterson called The Mary Magdalene Revealed. And she's done very thorough theological studies, but also brings her personal vision to the book about the Magdalene Manuscript and that was found around the time of when the Nagamadi scripts were found. Mm. And apparently the first six pages are missing and so is page 11. Um, but they found two different versions of it, which in two different places. So that corroborates both, but still the first six pages are missing. And she makes the suggestion that the Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, who was so close to the Christ, and there's a, a beautiful book called... Um, mm the Magdalene manuscript that was channeled Mm. by a man called Tom Kenyon. And in that, she talks about that theirs was was a love affair. They were were devoted to each other in a particular way that meant she could serve him to serve others. Mm. And it was very much a a partnership. And in the Magdalene Revealed, it's very, very clear, whichever way you deduce it, and, and Megan Watterson does it very beautifully, very tastefully with historical accuracy, as how she speculates that what the Magdalene was saying was that it's the spirit inside you, in the heart, within, that you turn within, and that that is where the heart is, where home is. And as Jesus the Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is in you, the kingdom of heaven is present. It's on the inside. And, And it's going inward to find it within you and to find stillness there to radiate that for others. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really part of, of the journey, that the fear mm. from which some aspects of Christianity were designed or defined by the decree of Nicaea or whatever it was, was to govern the people and frighten them and to keep them under control, have them believe that they would go to hell and purgatory if they didn't do as they were told and comply, to keep them under control. That's the speculation. Mm. And that what we're finding is what you're saying, that, carolyn macy's words we're all mystics without monasteries now we have yeah. to find that center within us yeah. and whether your stories are about superpowers i think what you're saying and i know what i'm saying and i know we agree on a lot of things is that we are empowering others to find that place within themselves and serve themselves
1: I think that's beautifully said and it, it all comes back to me, you know, that, to each of us. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's really important that we stop looking outside of ourselves for any answers at all. It's a life journey, isn't it? You spend, you're out there as a teenager having fun, doing whatever. It's all about being out there. And then as you get older, they don't call, you know, the the older years being a wise crone for nothing because you come back <laughs> to knowing that there is only the self. And there is your reaction to what's going on around you and being able to keep steady in your knowingness that you are the divine, you are creation, you are loved beyond anything you can imagine. There's nothing to fear. There is no death. There's a shedding, but there's no death. We're all eternal. And the universe is expanding at the speed of light. And the question is, can you keep up with that?
0: Who knows? Mm. With much love. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Shine in all the colours of the rainbows of that light. And there we have Sephorium. Mm. Well, thank you, Sarah. That was that was whatever that was. That was you. <laughs> a fabulous story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing
1: it. Well, I'm I'm beginning to out myself these days. I used to keep my stories very quietly to myself, but I think it's time for people to hear that you know there is another a whole new arena of vibration for exploration and you're breaking the ground with your work and I feel very you know connected to you on that level because I think we are groundbreakers we're tough women and we are here to serve
0: couldn't agree more thank you so much for spending this time with me it's been an absolute privilege and I don't know what to say we have we say in uh, that where where my ministry is we have a saying which means the blessings already are so, um, by Rush Bishan. Oh,
1: thank you. It's been a joy. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah.